Turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I'll be reading Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Touch Me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave Him a piece of broiled fish. And He took it and ate it before them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You hear this prayer now as our risen Savior. Holy Father, allow Your Son, Jesus, to be seen in the Scripture this morning. Cause unbelieving hearts to have the light of Your Spirit shine upon this historical day in truth so that they may believe and be saved. And those of us whom You have so mercifully shine that light upon Oh, let the glorious empowerment and encouragement of Your Spirit operate in our midst. To the glory of His name. Amen. In your struggle with sin, doubt, temptation, in your, in your struggle with feeling guilt and remorse for your failures, I, I want all of us this morning to enter into this room with these women and, and men, and particularly these apostles, who on Thursday night before this Sunday slept when Jesus wanted them to pray. And slept again. And then when Jesus was arrested, they abandoned Him and fled in fear. And, and like some, like Peter, who later that night, publicly three separate times, denied that he ever knew Jesus. I want, I want us to go into that room with them in order to notice how the resurrected Lord Jesus acted toward them and what He said to them. Guys, look at me. Touch me. 
real. It's flesh. It's bone. It's really me. The same one you saw tortured to death. Get rid of your doubts. And believe. And see most importantly those words. Peace to you. Sinner, believer, God is at peace with you through, because of, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're there in Luke 24, if you've been with us, remember, as we've been making our journey through the Gospel of Luke, now in chapter 24, all the way up to the end of our text this morning, verse 43, Luke has three resurrection accounts so far. And all three of these that Luke puts in Luke 24 happen on the first day. That Sunday that He rose. They all happened on that day. Even though Luke will tell us later that there were many, many more over the next 39 days. So, if you remember a few weeks back at the beginning of chapter 24, these women, close friends of His, went to the tomb early in the morning and it was empty. And they went back into Jerusalem to where the rest of the disciples were hanging out. And they told them of the empty tomb and the words of the angel that appeared to them. And they thought it was hogwash. Yeah, right. Except we saw Peter and John, hmm, I don't know, ran to the tomb and saw it empty. And Peter marveled, not yet, Believing as yet. Then, during that day, we saw that Jesus showed up on the road with two disciples on the way to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Him yet on purpose. God blinded their eyes and Jesus taught them from the Scripture. And then at the table, He removed the veil and they saw it was in fact Jesus who had been dead. And then they went back to Jerusalem. But sometime during that day also, Jesus appeared to, talked with, encouraged, restored Peter. So now, in the third section of His appearance in Luke 24, Remember the context now. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus returned late on that Sunday night back in Jerusalem. Can't wait to tell the apostles and all the rest of the disciples there what had transpired that day. But they got there and the others spoke first to them. Look down at verse 34. They said to these two, Disciples, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. And then they, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, now, that's where our text starts this morning. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself 
stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. So so while they're in this room, they're discussing these strange, impossible events, Jesus Himself all of a sudden was there and spoke. He didn't knock on the door. And He didn't enter through a door. He was just there. In fact, the doors were all closed and locked according to the Gospel of John. Just imagine. Don't come back here. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't do that. Just imagine what's going on in our fellow brothers and sisters there. How fright shot down their spine at that moment. Yeah, they're discussing. Is it real? Most of them have not encountered the the resurrected Jesus. Peter's there. He did. He's claiming he did. And now these two guys are claiming they did. And some of the women have proclaimed that they did. But their adrenaline's flowing. It's like, could it be true? No, no. And then all of a sudden, he's just there. And he speaks. In other words, the dead brutalized, tortured, bloodied to death. Jesus, three days earlier, is there in the room. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. Of course, and thought they had saw a spirit. In other words, they thought they're seeing a ghost. And so Jesus speaks, verse 38, and He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So here's Jesus and He says, I'm not a ghost. This is not a vision. I'm not merely a spirit. I am not standing before you as a non-physical appearance. This is I. The human Me, body, and soul. Or as John tells us about that account, He he showed us His hands and His side where the spear went through. The point is that the same human being who was tortured and died on that cross and was taken down, cleaned and coated with spices to kill the stinking body that will be decomposing and wrapped in linen cloth and laid in the tomb. That very same person in that body, Jesus says, is standing before you. But, that resurrected body is not exactly like His previous body. Or like our bodies right now in this room. 
It's new. It's the same, but different. He simply showed up in the room despite the closed, locked doors. Just as He simply vanished from the dinner table in the little village of Emmaus a few hours earlier. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? It is rhetorical. He's not asking for an answer. Actually, it makes sense to me as a human being. I know why. Rational people don't tend to believe the impossible without any historical presence. Even though they're discussing. He's seen Him. I haven't seen Him. And He appears. They are what? Freaked out. Frightened. It makes sense. It's just too good to be true. It is otherworldly. It is without historical precedence. See, these are not gullible people. Yeah, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Of course, that's not. They're not like that. But they need to accept this reality. And so Jesus says to them, See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Come on. Touch me and see. Because look, a spirit does not have physicality. It's not made of material of this world and this universe as you see that I have. And when He said that, He showed them His hands and His feet. You see the holes where the spikes went through. And in my feet. It is I. Now, in all four of these historical accounts called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one message comes through clearly that they are communicating. And that is that these people did not believe easily. They were prone like all sane, rational people to not believe something like this until they were overwhelmed with evidence. Here they are. They're reaching out. And they are touching their good friend, their rabbi, their teacher. They're feeling Him. He's talking to them They're talking to Him. Sunday night, first day. Now, let me put a parenthesis here for a moment that Luke doesn't tell us. Evidently, one of the eleven apostles, Thomas, had left the building before Jesus showed up that night. This is how John writes it in John chapter 20, starting with verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, 
was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, of course, later, told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, probably like I would, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe you. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see My hands. And put out your hand and place it in My side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Answers, Yes. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas has changed. Like the other group of 30 or 40 or 50, I don't know how many are in that room, like the other group were changed eight days earlier. In moments from doubt and unbelief, they were changed to a type of, wow! Wait a minute. I, can, I do believe it. This is happening, but is it really happening? This, listen to this is how Luke puts it in verse forty-one. And while they still disbelieved, for or from joy, and were marveling. Strange wording in it. It is. It's strange wording in English, and it's strange wording in the Greek. He's saying something like this. They were, in this encounter, put into a, a, a weird, wacky state of disbelief slash belief. Maybe like Auburn football fans were last fall when they're playing the number one football team in the country, Alabama. And it comes down to the end of the game and it's tied. And Alabama tries one last field goal to see if they can end the game without going into overtime. And it was a long field goal. And they come up short, go to overtime. Well, except for an Auburn guy caught the football at the end of the end zone and decided to run it out to the 5 and the 10 and broke a tackle. And the 15 and 20, 25, another tackle is broken. 30, 35, 40, a block, and now no one's in front of him. And Auburn football fans, they are in another world. You, they don't believe what's happening. You can't believe it. It can't end this way. And then touchdown. And they're screaming. But then again, wait a minute, is it real? Is there a yellow flag on the field? It wasn't game over. They go to the national 
champion. It's that kind of unbelief, belief that he seems to be communicating here. And then Jesus moves in for the kill to quell all their doubts. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So now they're eating with him, talking with him. Fish can be cut up in a science lab. It is material. It's physical. Jesus took it, put it to His mouth, tasted it with His tongue, chewed it, and He swallowed it. This was not the only time Jesus did this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Or a few years later, when Peter was preaching in Cornelius' house, he says, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And so, Luke lets us know that by that very first Sunday night, these people that are there were no longer doubting the impossible. Doubting the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, I want to spend a few minutes and ask a, a big question I think people fail to ask a lot. And that is this. What do we mean when we say, when they said, Jesus has been raised from the dead, what do we We're talking first about a human being. Yes, we are talking about the person who is the second person of the eternal Godhead who never came into existence but is Himself God. But that second person of the Holy Trinity became something He never was before that in the womb of Mary. A human being. And when He died, it was a human being that died. And when He rose, it was a human being that rose. What do we mean? So let me start it this way. The nature of humanity. In other words, what it is to be human as opposed to divine or as opposed to being angelic, for instance. The nature of humanity is not like 
the nature of angelic beings in the sense of being only in their nature non-physical or spiritual. Non-material. No. Yes, we human beings do have a non-physical aspect that is part of being human. That can exist apart from the material world. Our, our physicality. We human beings have a mind, a self-consciousness that can and does operate apart from brain waves. All that's true. But, there is something not right about, or say it this way, unnatural about being unclothed with physicality. Being unclothed with a human physical body. That's how Paul put it in Corinthians, right? We, 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 we don't long to be unclothed from the body. And we won't forever be, is his point. No, a human being is body and soul. Okay, that's point one. Second point. Salvation in Jesus is salvation, yes, from the judgment of God, but it's also salvation into the saving of humanity in Jesus Christ, the God-man. So, in other words, even now, every believer in this world existing right now and all of those who are dead, like Peter or the Apostle Paul, are still awaiting the redemption in its totality. Waiting the redemption of heaven and earth and of this physical universe. And waiting the redemption of our physical bodies to be resurrected. Or, say it this way, to be glorified. Or to be transformed into immortality. It will be the same body, yet very different. Now, right now, what is it, 11.03 on Sunday morning on, what's the date? The 27th of April 2014. Still, there has been only one human being who has ever been resurrected from the dead. So far. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first. He's not the last. But He's the first and still at this point the only one. The first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. And at His second coming, in His resurrected humanity, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, 
through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have already died. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, we who remain alive at that time, who are left, will be changed, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Alright, just hold those thoughts for a moment. Now let's go back into that room in Jerusalem on that first Sunday night. Jesus is standing there in their midst. This is the resurrected Lord Jesus. This is not the resuscitation of a corpse. See, there is a profound difference what happened a few weeks earlier when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. There is a profound difference between Lazarus being dead and then coming back to life by a miracle and Jesus being raised from the dead. Lazarus was truly dead. We don't mean his brain waves stop for 20 minutes. He was truly dead. He was in the tomb in the side of a rock for four days. His body had begun to decompose. He smelled. And then, by a miracle, He was pulled back into this physical life. Restored to life but to the same mortal body. He'd have to go through death all over again. But unlike Lazarus, Jesus emerged from the dead physically, never to die again. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. So, Lazarus' rising from the dead is a miracle, but it did not solve the problem of death. On the other hand, Jesus' resurrection. I gotta gotta hear me here. In a sense, it is a future, a apocalyptic, end time event that came back into history and happened. In Jesus' resurrection, it is that apocalyptic event in his humanity that defeated defeated death and thus ensured the final and absolute eradication of death for all who belong to Him. One day, still future. See, that still future event of the resurrection is going to happen. 
There will be no more death, no more evil, no more sin in God's consummated kingdom. But it is as if that future, this is how the New Testament talks about it, that future age to come, as opposed to this present age we're in, that f- it's as if something of that future age to come broke off on that Sunday in that man and appeared by raising him from the dead and thus guaranteed the promise of resurrection for all who belong to Christ. In a sense, Jesus is a future man who appeared in His resurrected body many times over a six-week period from that Sunday. Luke Timothy Johnson put it this way, the Christian claim concerning the resurrection of Jesus is not that He picked up His old manner of life, but rather that after death, He entered into an entirely new form of existence. In other words, this new resurrected life of Jesus is more than physical. It's it's not less than physical, but as the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright coined the phrase, it is trans- Physical. It's real bodily life. It eats fish. But at the same time, it is unlike any bodily life ever known. Jesus' resurrection in that spring of A.D. 33 is the first instance of God's end-time eschatological renewal of all things. His resurrection is the beginning. It's the initial example, the first fruits of the new creation that is assured by Jesus. And it is utterly unlike anything that has ever come before it. This body in that room that night is beyond physics as we know it. It can appear. And disappear. It can end up in a closed door, locked room without ever walking through the door. This is what the Apostle Paul discussed in 1 Corinthians 15 when he writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then Paul goes on to give the, the examples of different kinds of natures of plants, etc. For instance, an acorn and an oak tree. You don't get an oak tree without an acorn. They're they're very different! Oh, but are they ever connected? So he gives these examples, and then he goes on and says this, With the resurrection of the dead, what is sown in death is perishable. They took Him down from the cross. What is raised is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is an acorn, there's an oak tree. If there is a mortal humanity because of sin, there is a resurrection of those who are in Christ to eternal glory. So Jesus' body is flesh and bone transformed. Transformed in such a way that He is able to move through material matter like He did in the tomb right through the grave cloths. Or like He did in showing up in this room. A New Testament scholar, Daryl Box, summarizes it this way. There is no way to distinguish the person of Jesus from the risen Christ except that His existence now takes place at an additional dimension of reality. They are basically one and the same. A spirit has not taken His place. Nor is He just a spirit. The person buried in the tomb is raised and transformed. In His resurrected state, He clearly is transformed. Though in a way that still leaves traces of His former existence. Example, the nail prints in His hands and feet. End quote. Is that helpful? I hope so. Before we close, let's go back into that room now. That night. And let's concentrate now on what this resurrected Jesus said to them. But, but not just what He said to them, but what the resurrected Lord Jesus says to all believers who are sinners. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them. Got the picture now? Not resuscitation. Resurrection. He stood among them and He said, Peace to you. It's more than a greeting, even though that was a greeting. It's more than a greeting here. Peace to you. Now you've got to feel it. These people are scared. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. As He will say later to them, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. He is the King. He is the Sovereign. This is the Lord of heaven and earth speaking to them. This is the man of whom the Apostle Paul says, God has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all 
by raising Him from the dead. Get it? They are fearful. These guys, not all of them, but at least these apostles that are there, they deserted Him on Thursday night when He was being arrested and they ran away out of fear. And from there, it just unrolled in a way that it couldn't have ended up worse. He didn't get released. Within 24 hours, He was tortured and killed. And it's Sunday night. Their leader, most of them watched him, at least from a distance, be killed. And they're hiding out now in fear that it doesn't happen to them. They're hiding out from the Jewish leadership. This, this is how John says it in his Gospel. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Peace. He says to them, I'm your peace. I am your peace with God. Believer, the Apostle Paul explains it this way in Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, unbelievers, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. He did it by abolishing the law of commandments which condemn us. And He did it so that He, Christ, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility that was between us and God and us and others. For through Him, through Christ, Jew and Gentile, both have access in one Spirit to the Father. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is the peace with God that He accomplished in His sacrificial death on the cross. That's why He shows them His hand. 
and his feet and his side. It's me. Let what I kept preaching to you ring in your heads now. It's necessary that I, your Savior, went to suffer and die, bearing the penalty for your sins. Feel what they must have been feeling though first. Because if you're a believer, you have felt it. Feel what they were feeling. They're standing there. They're in fear. A few days later, they had ran away and deserted Him and watched His torturous execution. Now, at that point, do you really want that person to show up and say hi? The one you abandoned to the enemy? If He could come back, won't He be angry at me? See, what if they started to grasp the reality? Or what if we realize that it was my sin that got Him killed? That it was my secret life that He knows Put Him on the cross. What if God... What, what if this God-man now resurrected... What if He actually knows my sin? What if He knows my past, my motives, my thoughts? And no one else knows. What would he say to me then? The answer is peace to you. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. Everyone in that room on that Sunday night was a failure. A sinner. An idolater. Fearful and doubting His resurrection. And yet, because they belonged to Jesus, He said, Peace to you. He's saying the reason I offer you peace is because I died in order to remove the barrier between you and your Creator. To all sinners everywhere, Jesus has been saying and says, if you trust in me, if you will come to me, then none of your sins will be held against you. Peace. The wrath of God that you deserve is moved far away 
from you forever. And that's what the Apostle Paul means in 2 Corinthians when he says Christ came to reconcile us to God. God in His righteousness was against us justly. And Christ nailed it to the cross. And He conquered death as the first fruits. And He promises, you're coming after Me, believer. Come unto Me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I have accomplished peace for you. And so His message to us here is if you're a non Believer, if you have not come to embrace this resurrected Jesus yet, He says if you'll turn to Him, if you will believe the testimony, the evidence of those who ate and drank with Him after His resurrection back in the first century and turn away from your unrepentant sin, if you will embrace Him as your treasure, then you can be guaranteed that all your sin was paid for on the cross when He died. And you will forever be at peace with God. And God at peace with you. Not because of you, but because of His Son, Jesus. Don't turn away from that free gift of forgiveness and of the promise of the eternal resurrection of your humanity in body. Receive it freely so that you will be one that Paul refers to in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we who are believers have been justified, we're acquitted. Condemnation is removed. We have been justified by our faith. We thus have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, believer, as you daily in this mortal, sin-riddled, broken world and of your life, as you daily walk with Christ as a new creation in Christ, yet a sinner, stop holding on to debilitating guilt. Stop it. You may be struggling right now with doubts and fears, sins, self-control. Jesus knows. The Father knows every thought, every motive. And yet in Christ, daily, He extends His peace and forgiveness to you. 
Don't ever be one who walks out of here saying, I'm without sin, as 1 John says. He who claims to be without sin is a liar. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous not to ever put aside the death of His Son. He is righteous to uphold what the death of His Son That's what He means. For Christ's sake, He puts away your sin. He loves to glorify His Son in forgiving you in your repentant walk. See, right after telling us all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, sounds frightening. If you're a believer, it's not. Because right after that, the writer to the Hebrews says, let us therefore draw near, not run away. Let us draw near with confidence. The confidence isn't in you. The confidence is the confidence you have in your Savior. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The reality of all realities is that Jesus, the eternal second person of the Godhead, became a human being. And He came in order to be slaughtered and die as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of all who will believe in Him. And then, He was the first human being to be transformed. Resurrected from the dead, never to die again, and He will come back. He offers eternal forgiveness And the promise of the future resurrection to every sinner as a free gift. The crucial ingredient is for each person to believe that news. That's what gospel means. Good news. Of Jesus Christ. And when one does believe, truly, they grasp it, they see it, they know this resurrected Jesus intimately. They know Him by the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. And thus they know That they know, that they know that the testimony of those historical witnesses is true. They have been raised from the dead spiritually at this point. And the hope of their resurrection in the future is guaranteed when Jesus returns. And so let me close with the encouragement of the Apostle Paul to all who believe 
in Jesus as He writes at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Believer, when this dying, aging, old, sick, perishable body one day puts on the imperishable, when this mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is our sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, He gives it to us, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved Christian, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing this, that in the Lord Jesus, your work, your labor, your love is never in vain. Let's worship this resurrected Jesus. Oh, let's adore Him to the glory of His name.